Hi, welcome to this Gateway House podcast. Uh, today we're joined by two guests. Uh, we've got Samir Patel, who's a National Security Fellow here at Gateway House, and uh, Christine Fair, who's our Visiting Fellow for National Security, uh, and she's here for this summer. Uh, so welcome, Samir. Welcome, Christine. Um, so we'll, we'll get straight into the dive into the discussion here, which is looking into the assault on the parliament in Afghanistan in Kabul earlier today. Um, which was done during the swearing-in of a defense minister. Uh, about six or seven Taliban um, assailants were eventually killed. Um, so, you know, we know attacks in Afghanistan are not out of the ordinary, especially by the Taliban. So can you put this attack on the parliament into context? Like, what does it really mean? How severe or significant really is it? Symbolic attack, and it obviously comes in the context of a spring offensive which the Taliban launched in April. Uh, and since then, they have been targeting the government as well as the military uh, installations. Now, the Taliban spokesperson Zabila Mujahideen has claimed that the attack was aimed coinciding with the introduction of the new defense minister, Masum Stanikzai. Now, he Masum Stanikzai earlier headed the High Peace Council, which was in charge of the reconciliation between the Afghan Taliban and the Afghan government. And in that capacity, he has also faced uh, uh, attacks from the Taliban. So, in that sense, the targeting is not new. But the the location of the attack is obviously something very uh, symbolic. Uh, but but looking at from the Taliban's point of view, I think it's a very also important because Taliban is also now fighting for space within Afghanistan with the Islamic State or the Daesh, which and there are reports suggesting that there have been some defections from the from the Afghan Taliban to the Islamic State. So in that sense, you know, it's also trying to prove it to its uh, cadres that you know that uh, the, the Taliban force is here to stay, and you know we are as effective as we were we were there. We have been there in the past. Right. So, Christine, what's your take? No, I agree with everything that he said. In fact, he sort of made some of the points that I was going to make about the importance of Stanek Zai in particular, given his past role in the High Peace Council. But I think also um, it's worth reflecting um, upon this competition between Taliban and ISIS. Um, I, so, I think there are different ways of thinking about it. And from my point of view, we don't have enough data to really know which interpretation is the most salient. But, but the interpretation that seems to be prevailing and the one that seems to re- resonate most with me is that many of the of the Taliban commanders are kind of exhausted with the Taliban being under the beck and call of the ISI. And so this has been an ongoing tension with, with different members of the Taliban, um, particularly the, the newer generation of, of Taliban commanders who don't have the same sort of loyalty to the ISI. And sort of they share with many Afghans a sort of frustration and, quite frankly, hatred that Pakistan seeks to use Afghanistan as a, as a theater for its own interests. And so that's one way of interpreting this competition, is that um, people want an agenda that's not set and driven by the ISI. And so that's one way of interpreting this, this ISIS problem. Another way of interpreting it, um, and this is also the case in Pakistan, is that some of the people engaged in these attacks are just violence entrepreneurs and criminals. And by um, donning this cloak of ISIS, they can act with, with greater impunity. So I think there's still, um, ISIS is not the force that people tend to make it out to be in Afghanistan, but I do think it's important to understand that there's a, a lot of competition with the Taliban in terms of what it's gonna be and, and really deep frustration with Pakistan's instrumentalization of that movement. 
That, that's that's really interesting, Bori. We touched on this competition now that's developing across the region and now Afghanistan as well. So, where does this? How do you rate the the ISAF forces in Afghanistan? I mean, the, ISAF. Yeah. Well, they're gone. ISAF has. So, I mean, there's essentially everything's been handed over in a handing over ceremony, um, which took place secretively, actually, in a gymnasium when the ISAF flag was officially retired. So there is formally no more ISAF mission. Um, what they now have is sort of a vigilance mission and a training mission. Uh, so you know, look, you, you, you can look at this as the half glass empty or half glass full. The real question is how big is the glass and what is in the glass? Um, so on the one hand, you know, as Senior said, it's, it's, it is very problematic that the parliament was so vulnerable. Um, this isn't the only attack of this nature. But, look, all of the guys were killed, right? So, you know, this this isn't, on the one hand, this isn't great, but in years past, it would have required the assistance of ISAF to take these guys out. So you can focus on, yeah, it's pretty terrible that this happened, and obviously preemptive security leaves much to be desired, but it's also not the case that um, the Taliban are a fighting force that's in great excess of of the ANSF. So I, th- I think, you know, you have to look at it. You know, what, what the NATO people used to always say was Afghan good enough. Um, I don't necessarily like that phrase, but there is a little bit of reality to it. Right. So th- that's an important part then, that, it's imp- that they were killed. So, you know, that, that is shows with, some with, strength. Yeah, without, yeah. without the involvement of, of NATO ISAF. So, yeah, it, it's terrible that it happened. Um, but look, and then if you actually look at the death toll all things considered, it could have been a lot worse given everything that they came in with. So this wasn't great, but the reality is it isn't the worst case scenario. I mean, I don't know, what do you think? I Sarah? agree with you because, uh, I mean, let us be honest that if there were, would have been any lawmaker killed or injured in the attack, you know, that would right. really raise the questions on the capacity of the Afghan national security forces. But the fact that all the militants were killed and there were minimum civilian damage and casualties in the attack, uh, without any t- damage to the to the b- building as such, you know, I think you know the Afghan national security forces have really held the poor. But uh, Christian, I'm not sure because this is within Kabul, so obviously the, some of the installations would have really seen the reinforced security. But you think this is really the situation outside Kabul? And in the sense, I mean, I'm, my sense is that uh, maybe they are not as equipped to battle the Taliban. And I mean, yes, in yesterday's events in the Kunduz province, yeah. they probably vindicated. No, I mean, so I think there are a couple of issues. I think one, that's true, that they're strongest in Kabul. I think the second issue that I find really frustrating, um, because no one really wants to talk about it, is everyone instead wants to focus upon the size of the remainder U.S. NATO force after the, the wrapping up of major combat operations. The real issue is the money, right? So as these parliaments in the United States withdraw their troops, they face a lot of pressure to also withdraw their paycheck. And the reality is, is that no matter what we say about the ANSF, the Afghan National Security Forces capabilities in and beyond Kabul, the reality is the Afghan government cannot pay for even the recurring costs of this force structure. And this also, this holds across the entire breadth of the Afghan government. The, The Americans have built the largest Afghan government that's ever existed. And it cannot, the Afghan government cannot raise revenue to pay for even its recurring costs. So this means that there has to be some significant downsizing. The Afghans need to learn how to collect revenue. Um, and 
by the way, these are very difficult to do while you're also trying to fight an insurgency, right? Because what does downsizing mean? That you're going to be unemploying government officials who then have no resources and are more likely to be uh, available to other organizations. And so the ANSF itself, particularly the Afghan National Army, well, it's also true with the police forces. I mean, these are basically militias that were cobbled together under various commanders. So without the paycheck, this breaks down. And you're already seeing, you know, the, the, the breakdown of the discipline of these forces. There's a lot of defection. I mean, any, anyone um, farther away from Kabul isn't going to want to take on the Taliban. It's simple, full stop. So leaving aside the capabilities of the ANSF and will they ever be good enough, whatever good enough means, these questions are immaterial unless the international community and the Afghans themselves find a way of making this entire juggernaut fiscally sustainable. And right now, it's not. Full stop, it's not. Right, um, Samir, any closing remarks before we uh, end the discussion? Anything on anything on India's role here? With well, the interesting thing that I mean, the only thing the India connection here is obviously the fact that India is now building the new uh, parliament building for Afghanistan, and this is in the vicinity where the attack took place. So, uh, fortunately, the, all the Indian workers are safe. But then, uh, had that I mean, then we could, but we have to really be prepared for these kind of attacks, you know, because the. Taliban is, I think, uh, with the Islamic State and with you know uh, this sense of waiting to come in, in power for the last ten years, you know that desperation is really growing, and unfortunately, that desperation is really going to translate into more violence. That's what. What about um, attacks on Indian facilities? So uh, there was an attack uh, two months back mm -hmm. on a guest house in mm -hmm. Kabul in which yep. four Indians were killed, but. Uh, uh, and I mean I specifically targeting, like for example, the Herat consulate attack that happened right before uh, Modi was inaugurated. I think I mean the, the attacks. I mean those kind of attacks also we can expect because obviously, um, I mean even though right now Afghanistan and Pakistan are on good terms, that I mean the basic dynamics haven't really changed. And as long as the ISI really commands the Afghan Taliban, and the reconciliation efforts are guided from Rawalpindi, you know, I don't think you know that dynamic is going to. How do you think, so it's that Herat attack, the timing of it I thought was important because it was before Modi was inaugurated. And it sort of struck me as a sort of probing opportunity. But you know, this government has shown a kind of resolve that the previous government hasn't, the Myanmar raid, for example. How do you think this government will respond if there's another high-value attack in Afghanistan on Indian assets or personnel? I think the response would be more or uh, less on the same lines as the previous government because uh, we really have to make a distinction between the attack on the Indian military mm -hmm. and the attack on the Indian civilians. Oh, that's uh, interesting. Okay, because in Manipur the attack was really on the Indian military and therefore mm -hmm. you know the government had to give some kind of response. But uh, there would have been, I mean, there have been some kind, of, I mean, those cross-border kind of attacks in Jammu and Kashmir, for instance, on the Indian civilians. But the, I mean, the government has just, you know, protested against those uh, cross-border raids mm -hmm. by the by, by Pakistan. And I think, you know, uh, that kind of response is also going to come if there has been an, any attack in Afghanistan on the Indian interests. So you don't even think there'd be covert reciprocation? I'm sure there would be some covert reciprocation, but I'm. Uh, but I also believe that you know, that kind of uh, there will be no public acknowledgement uh -huh. of that, as in the case right. of Manipur. Because in Manipur, I think the government really had to show its resolve and say that you know, that this is what we did. But I'm not sure whether that is going to happen in mm -hmm. this case. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Christine. Thanks to me.